Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to uh, open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Psalms, and specifically uh, Psalm 128 is where we will be today as we um, spend some time outside of our uh, current series through the book of Acts. We uh, have been taking a little bit of a detour, and uh, so after today, we will uh, get back on the path. But um, uh, before we get too far into the message, I do want to just say Happy Father's Day. If I have not had an opportunity to tell you, and I hope you have a great day, uh, men, today. And uh, also, I know that this can be a very difficult time for some, depending on the nature and relationship of uh, what you have with your, your dad, um, or what has happened in the past. And so also, praying and trusting that the Lord uh, will be able to minister and work uh, in your life today. As we say, he's a good, good father. And, uh, and so, uh, even if our earthly fathers um, will let us down from time to time. And, uh, but he never will. So hopefully you can find great comfort and encouragement uh, in that. I do want to extend a uh, thank you to uh, Spencer and uh, Aaron and Malachi. Uh, they were uh, in this spot for the last three weeks. And uh, so I'm excited to be back. And I got three weeks worth of preaching to get out. So uh, hopefully you, you came ready for that. But um, the title of today's message is uh, The Man of the House. The man of the house. Uh, as we think about our culture, our world, what uh, we are facing, uh, what we recognize is that there is a uh, great problem that is materializing in uh, family after family, community after community, and uh, that is the uh, rampant situation with uh, fatherless homes. Now, let me just be clear here, that is not to say that uh, mothers are not uh, doing their job to love their sons and daughters in those situations. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I can think of many instances in my own life of friends that I had that uh, their mothers did a phenomenal job, and uh, those men have turned out to love the Lord and uh, to serve Him well. Uh, but we do want to acknowledge that God is the one who orchestrated the family. And uh, the way in which he put the family together was uh, that there would be a uh, mother and father and uh, that the children and the structures of our uh, family would look a particular way to bring about, I believe, ultimately what he desires uh, in our lives for our children to be able to relate to mother and father. And so today, I want to just take some time, uh, Lord willing, men, to encourage you, encourage us, uh, sisters as well. Y'all are welcome to this conversation as well, uh, but also to just remind us of the uh, way in which God has called us to be as men, that uh, in a world that continues to what I believe cheapen manhood and masculinity, that we have an opportunity to see before us what God's desire is for the man who takes him seriously, uh, who loves him. And so uh, today we find ourselves in the Old Testament book uh, of Psalms, specifically Psalm 128. And if you take note there, what you will find uh, is that this is a psalm of ascent. And uh, what that means is that um, during uh, the Jewish lifestyle and the Jewish calendar, uh, there would be three times in particular uh, that the men uh, were supposed to go up to Jerusalem, three festivals. And so as they were going up to Jerusalem, they would have these different psalms or songs that they would sing or that they would share to remind them as they were going up uh, to Jerusalem. And so this happens to be uh, one of those. And so I believe this psalm tells us a very a great deal about uh, what God desires to do in the life of the man who loves him. And uh, as we think about that, I think about the times in which we live in that we are in a great fight. We are in a great fight for our families, for our, for our culture, for marriage. And so I think this psalm is a great one to remind us 
what we are to see and to trust and to think and to seek God and how he would, would work. Ultimately, let me just say it like this. We're going to see it's going to break down a man and his relationship with God, a man and his relationship with his work, a man in relationship with his wife, a man in his relationship with his children, a man in his relationship, what I believe is the church or the covenant community and the world around us. We will see, I believe, all those highlighted in this psalm. So I hope you have had an opportunity uh, to find Psalm 128. And I want to just break down the main sections and then we will look at this together. We're going to see first and foremost uh, the happy life and how to have it. Now, you might be wondering, that sounds really weird. Why are you calling it the happy life in a church? I didn't know that, that, that we, we that shouldn't you say blessed or favored life. Well, we're going to see why happy here in just a moment. We're going to see the significant life and how to have it, the fruitful family and how to have it. And lastly, we'll look at the godly legacy and how to have it. Psalm 128, verse 1. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. In this first movement, we're going to see uh, the happy life and how to have it. Verse one. Now, I know in church, we might think that's a weird construction, happy life. What is this? You know, and not all the times in my life going to be happy. Well, I agree with that statement, but I believe the right word here is happy because uh, in this passage, uh, the word blessed, you will find it four times and you find it here in verse one. And in verse one, the Hebrew word that is translated here, blessed, is actually the word Asher. And if you know about the names, Asher means happy. And so we see that. And in this case, the reason why I believe two different words are used in the passage is because this type of blessing is a type of blessing that is connected to what you or I do. That many times when we pick up the Bible, when we read the Bible, you will find promises in the Bible, and uh, they are conditional promises. This is a conditional promise. Uh, see, as parents, as fathers, as we might as well hit it, we, we make conditional promises all the time to our children. Whenever you sit at the dinner table and you got peas and carrots and pork chops and mac and cheese on the plate, and your child sits down and they know that there's an ice cream sandwich in the freezer, and they say, can I have that ice cream sandwich in the freezer? And you tell them, not until you eat all those peas and carrots, you know what you just made? A conditional promise. What's the condition of them getting an the ice cream sandwich? You got to get these peas and carrots. You got to get the peas and carrots. And when we look at this many times, what we miss sometimes is we look at promises in the Bible. We look at statements in the Bible and we don't necessarily check to see, is this a conditional one? Well, the text here is very clear. It says how blessed is how many people? Everyone who what? Fears the Lord. So most times we like the blessing piece, but there are two pieces to this bless, this, this, this word that's used here. The first is that we have to be willing to fear the Lord. And the second is what? Who walks in his ways. There it is. So when we think about our life, the happy life, Asher right here, that the key to that, how do you have it? Well, A, I'm going to just submit to you from the text that first you have to fear the Lord. And secondly, the way in which that is expressed and is in how you live your life. You have to walk in his ways. So now that we look at this, it says very clearly that we fear him. Now, let me be very specific here that I believe the construction here, whenever God is talking about how we are to fear him, this is not that we are to be afraid of him like he's some grizzly old grandpa waiting on you to mess up so he can whack you in the head with a stick every time you do something wrong. Like like he's up in heaven angry all the time. Like that's not that's not what it's saying here that to fear him. I believe simply stated means to take him seriously, that to fear God means that you take him seriously. 
So when I think about this word in particular, the word fear, let me just break it down. This is my own personal way of thinking about Jamar. Do you fear God? Well, what does that look like? Well, a when we look at the word fear, F-E-A-R, number one, F, that means God is first. When you take him seriously, that means that he is first. And whenever he is first, the E means you're going to exalt him above everything. You're going to accept his commands and you're going to respect him. Like that's when I think about fear. Hey, put him first. Whenever I put him first, that means he gets exalted above everything. I'm going to accept his commands. I want to accept the things that he's laid out in front of me. And I'm going to make sure that I respect him in the way in which I talk to him, the way in which I talk about him, the way in which I live. So he says very clearly that that individual, that that person, and I believe here I'm talking to men, when we fear God, when we love him in this way, we will see the blessing of God on our life. Now, notice it says who uh, walks in his ways. This has to do with our obedience. We don't just fear God with our lips. We also fear God with our feet. We walk our lifestyle, the way in which we move about. And so we think about this as the idea of obeying his word, meaning that God has laid down a strategy, a plan of execution in ways in which he desires to work on our lives. And we have to be willing to follow those ways. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. You know, when I think about this idea of walking in his way, I mean, let's think about a, a passage in the New Testament. If you write this down, Philippians chapter one, verse twenty one. You know, when we think about taking taking care of our relationship with God personally, and I just want you to notice this. It says it's for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can y'all help me with that? I need a little help this morning. And on three, can we just read this together? One, two, three. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, this sentence is very, this is a powerful sentence, probably one of the most powerful sentences you're going to find in all the Bible. But can I tell you, if you change one thing out of there, it all breaks down. If you take out when you read for me to live is Christ, if you put anything else right there in that position, you cannot continue that sentence to die as gain. For example, let's do it like this. For to me to live is to make a whole lot of money. Can I say to die is gain? Why not? Because when I die, what happens to my money? Do I get to take it with me? Nope. It stays right here. Somebody else get to spend it. Right. So can I say let's just take out. Let's just for me to live is to be popular. Everybody know my name. I'm the man. Got all the record books. Right. Can I say to die is game? Nope. Can I ask you all a quick question? Who was the who was the most the, the richest person in the day right here? Whenever this song was being written, who, who was the most popular? Who was the best looking woman? Who, who, who was the best looking man? Who were they? Y'all know. We don't know. They're right. <laughs> we have no idea. And so when I think about this, when we when we look at our lives, men, let me just specifically talk to you for a minute. When we think about our lives, the majority of the time that we spend with our thoughts and with the minutes, the seconds, hours, days that God gives us, most of the time we are investing those into things that whenever we die, it's not going to be gained. Now, I'm not saying don't work, don't 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 make a living, don't be successful, don't break records, don't have notoriety. I'm just saying to you that the, the thrust of our life has to be one in which we are fearing God and we are investing our life in things that once we perish, once we pass from this life, it will ultimately be gain for us. Because everything in our culture is pulling us and is trying to tell us that that's that's a futile thing to do. More money, more houses, faster car, bigger car. More, more relationships, more women, more ladies, more notoriety, all these things all the time. And if we're not careful, we will get swept right into this same worldly mindset. And, and ultimately, at the end of days, the end of time, it will not be gained for you or for me if that is the path that we take. So as we think about this, men, I believe it's important for us to ask a question. Do I fear the Lord? Is he first? Am I exalting him? Am I accepting his word, his commands? Am, am I respecting him? Am I walking in his ways? Am I living the life that he has called me to? Because ultimately, at the end of my days here, I will stand before him and give an account. We see the first piece deals with a man and his God. The, the next piece let, let's look at is going to deal with a man and his work. And in this section, we have to see the, the significant life. And how to have it. You know, when I think about the idea of a man and his his work, I, I have met I have not met a man yet 
that wakes up and says, you know what? I want to be a, a bum. You know, that's really my life. I, I, I don't really want to be successful. I, I, I have yet to meet one that, that, that that's what they desire in their life, to be insignificant. I have yet to meet one that, that wants to be a, a, a mediocre individual, yet to meet one. But so many men have not connected to the significance of what happens in their life, specifically in the area of their work. Notice what he says in verse two. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, meaning the labor of your hands. Notice what he says. You will be happy. And it will be well with you. Everybody notice that. I don't know if you think about it too long. You think, man, I don't know about happy is what I would describe the way I feel about my job. About what I do. I don't know about happy is the way in which I would describe that. But, you know, I, there, I find that there is something to a to a man's work. Most of the time, the spheres that we operate in uh, work and home. It, it, and what if we're not careful, we can miss the reality that for most men from a percentage position, you're going to spend about 60 percent of your time at work. That's a lot of time. I said, I know some of you, you know, maybe not spend that much time. You didn't figure it out how to, how to get around it. But the majority of what this is what we're doing, 60 percent. So I, hear me now. If you're going to invest that much time in a place, in, in, a, in, a, in a job, in a, in a vocation, it, it might be important to recognize how God is desiring to leverage that. So thus he can say to you what he's saying here in the text that you shall eat of the, the, the labor, the labor of your hands, and be happy and be well with you. Very, very important. You see, I believe the problem for many of us is that we are known by what we do, not necessarily who we are. And the key, the key to this piece is to bring about a change of mindset, a viewpoint, First and foremost, about work, about how I believe God is desiring to work in our lives. And so first and foremost, can I just say to you, I think when we come from the perspective that God is the one that is working, God is the one that's giving me the ability to make wealth. God is the one who is the one who is providing as I'm prayerfully following his direction. But it's him. It's him. It will change the way in which I believe we see ultimately our calling. I don't know if y'all believe me or not. So let me just give you an Old Testament passage real quick. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 18. And this is critical here for the children of Israel as they were going in. But I believe that the, the truth here is still the truth. He says this in Deuteronomy 8, 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to what? Make wealth. Everybody see that? Who is giving them the power? The Lord, right? That, that he, he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. He was reminding them of who it was. God was the one that was doing it. Can I just tell you, you didn't make you. You didn't make your intellect. Yeah, sure. Now, you read the book, but you didn't make the one who, who made the book, did you? I just trying to, at some point, we can keep on breaking this thing down to show ultimately God is the one that is infusing and giving the ability and open up the opportunities and the doors. And so for us to look to him and be willing to bring intentionally bring his will, presence, plan, purpose down to what we do nine to five, Monday through Friday or whatever your schedule is. OK, some of you 12 on and 12 off or whatever not or whatever it is to bring him into that movement. I think that's the first step that we are not identified by what we do, but who we are. See, most of the time we are gauging success. I jotted down. We are gauging success based off of money things, accomplishments, the adventures, and all those other things. But I think there's a higher way to think about it. I think, I think there's a higher way to think about this. You see, we have to get God's viewpoint. So if you're taking notes, I want you to jot down Colossians 3, 23, and 24, and we'll look at this together. We have to have God's view. Colossians 3, 23 says this. Whatever you do, everybody see that? Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men, right? Meaning when we show up, when we clock in, I know boss man, the one I got to see his face. But it ain't boss man. That makes sense. <laughs> boss lady. I'm going to put that up. If somebody got some boss ladies too, we don't want to see it's the, it's, it's the Lord Christ. 
knowing that from the Lord you, you will receive the reward and inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. That's a very important mindset shift, distinction. Most of the people around you that don't love Jesus, they are not operating from this mindset right here. They're operating from it. Let me get my money. Let me get the time and a half. Yes, 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 yes. Please give me that. Give me that so I can buy some more stuff, bigger house, bigger car, be well known, do what I do, be able to move, upper mobility. I'm not against you having financial success. What I'm saying, though, is that the perspective that we bring is very important because you can have all the financial success and not sit and be well in your house with the things that you have going on because the perspective is off. You see, I believe we have to have God's viewpoint. Next piece, let me just talk a little bit about the right fit. I think this is important that you think about in your calling, the way in which you are designed, the way in which you're wired. Are you in the right fit? Do you, do you sense that, that where you are, you can ultimately bring to bear God's plan and will. Now, let me just tell you, sometimes you just need to get a job because you got to put food on the table. That, 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 not everybody gets to be like, you know, I just, my favorite hobby is, no, no, no. It's time to go to work, okay? And we got to put food on this here table. We got to pay bills. That doesn't mean you have to stay there, though. Many times what I have found is God is too good to not utilize as he is, he is molding your character in those positions, ha having you experience certain things to get you to a position where ultimately I believe he wants to align your dreams and your calling and your vocation over here. But at every step until you get there, he can teach you lessons and give you opportunities to be able to bring to bear when you get there. But for, but for some of us, we're looking for the dream and we just need to get a job right now. And let him work and operate and, and, and move in our life. You see, I believe, though, it does have to go beyond just working to live or living to work. We have to attach. We have to attach down and recognize that I believe God, not only we have to get his viewpoint, not only do we understand the right fit, but we also recognize that God is, is not only concerned with what we do, but who we are. And so he's ultimately seeking to develop in us the characteristics of himself in our life. Let me just tell you one of the things that I find most important is that we connect our life to an eternal purpose, though. So the resources that come from the job that you do, invest those in kingdom activities. The, the, the time and the things that you are learning, ask God, how can I use this and leverage this for kingdom activity and advancement? It'll, be, it'll shock you in the, in the ways in which God can bring to bear your life to further the mission of, of Christ. Can I just ask you a quick question? When you think about the mission and the gospel message, how many of you, when you think missionary, primarily you think about people who move their lives to another place? You go to another country. And I'm going to be honest, most of the time, that's what we think. All right. And hear me. There are individuals that are called to do that. We got one sitting right in here with us. OK, called to do that. And there might be more called. Y'all just ain't said yes just yet. So just hang on, because God still is in the calling business to, to call you to pick your whole family, rearrange your whole structure and language and all of that and drop you down in a place that happens regularly. And he might desire for you to do that. But can I tell you, when you open up this Bible, what you are going to find is the norm is not that. The norm is people living out there every day, nine to five, Monday through Friday in front of people that they know, declaring and showing the good, good the grace of God, the goodness of his cross and the way in which God is desiring to save them. What, the way I like to say it is, you know, growing up uh, when you were in school, did you, anybody ever have show and tell in school, you know, show and tell time? Your favorite toy, bear, or whatever it is you bring, and you get to tell it, show it off and tell everybody who it is and why you like it, right? See, what I, I just happen to believe that each and every day God is having show and tell. Each and every day he's having show and tell. What he's desiring to do is to show who he is, his goodness, his grace through your life, and tell by where these here, by where the circumstances, who he is and what he is desiring to do in other people's lives. That's what he's desiring to do. So as we as we look at this, I think it's, it's important to connect that to, to have this verse two type life. When you sit down, the labor, these things, I think you have to connect it to connect more things than just what you do. It's got to be bigger than just dollars and cents. You connect it to an eternal purpose and watch God bless and work. And move. That means it's going to be easy. But can you just pray a simple prayer and say, God, will you help me to declare your grace and goodness on my job, through my life?
give me an opportunity. You better be ready. Because he's going to do it. <laughs> we see in our text a man and his God. A man and his work. Now let's look at a man and his family. In verses 3 and 4, he says, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around the table. Behold, for thus shall be the man, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The family. God's foundation. Whenever he was deciding how this thing was going to go, the family. Building block, initial. Now, when I think about the idea of the family, and we're talking about the, the man, I just want to specifically talk about our role in this. And I want to use a, a definition that's not unique to me. It's, we use this here. Uh, it's from a man named Robert Lewis. He has plenty of resources on manhood, biblical manhood. But I just want to challenge you. Ask somebody, when you, if you get a chance, say, you know, what is it? If you had to define what it means to be a man, what definition would you give? I just want you to sit back and listen to what they say to you. All right. You should ask them. Now, don't 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 like puff up like, yeah, what is a man? Like, just be nice in your asking. All right. But I'm going to just lay out the definition that we that we use. I think his is great. So I, I rearrange a little bit. But we, we want to be real men. R.E.A.L. Real men. And the, each letter stands for something. The R stands for reject passivity or reject being passive. We want to reject this passive to, to allow life to dictate to us where we should move and go and, 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 and allowing other folks to, to, to lead and direct us. We, we want to reject that. We want to reject the way in which Adam behaved in the garden. We want to reject that. E, we want to expect a great reward. As a matter of fact, we want to expect God's reward. We want to believe each and every day that God has something good for us. That's what the Bible says, that all good things come from him. And I just happen to believe he laying it out every day, every day. We want to expect great things. The A is to accept responsibility. It's not just the fact that you just get to sit around like a bum sitting around. No, you have to accept responsibility for the things that he has put before you. And the L means to lead courageously. Lead courageously. And so when I think about the family, can I just speak for a moment? I believe the family is under attack. And it's going to take real men to be able to push back in the days in which we live. Everything outside of here is pushing us in a completely different direction. But can I tell you, men, I come, come to encourage you up in here that I believe God has appointed us for this time right now to be able to be about his business. So when we think about this idea of being a real man, the first thing we see in verse three is he says, you're a wife. Everybody catch that. He starts with the wife. No, he didn't start with the kids. Start with the wife. And he says, your wife, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Now, this is a great picture here. Uh, it's brother preaching here now because he talks about a fruitful vine. And so he takes us to the grapevine and he's dealing with, with two specific things, grapes and obviously and then ultimately wine. And we'll get there here in just a moment. When we think about the dynamics of this, what we can learn from this picture that he is giving us. I'm going to give it to you, brothers. You ready for it? He's going to talk to us about time. He's going to talk to us about protection. He's going to talk to us about purpose. He's going to talk to us about climate. Time first. Let's deal with it. Then whenever you look at this, it says your wife shall be a fruitful vine. Everybody catch that? Fruitful vine. Well, I've never planted a vine. I've never been in a vineyard all that long, but I studied and I looked it up. So let me tell you what I found now. The first thing that shocked me in terms of time is that once that vineyard is planted, it takes several years before there's ever any fruit. Several years. So just by way of application, brothers, let me just talk to you for a minute, especially my brothers that are married and you young in your marriage. <laughs> Hear me. Th those early years can be difficult. But hear me now. In those times, in those times, the protection piece comes in because that is when you are most vulnerable, most vulnerable to to pests, most vulnerable to different funguses and things that will come. That's what happens in the vineyard. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to try to come to your wife and into your marriage. I promise you. Now, now understand me here that over time, God has designed it that the marriage, the marriage is designed to sweeten and to be more productive. Hear me now. Over time. It don't mean it's not good now. 
but it's designed for the long haul as you as you faithfully uh, fear God and walk according to his ways in that relationship. It's designed for as you get old. I didn't share the first service, but let me just go ahead and keep it real here. Whenever you go from wearing a, a, a 30, 32 to a 34, 28, that makes sense. You're getting shorter, barely getting bigger. Whenever things change and it's, de it's designed and that happens, I'm telling you right now. Whenever, whenever you are changing and your relationship changing, hair gone and all that stuff is designed over the long haul to get sweeter and stay steady because it's being built on things that are much more substantive and not just pure emotion, not, not just how I'm feeling. That is the design. So hear me, brothers, because a lot of times what happens is we get ready to hit that ejection. Get out of here, pull that parachute out. We rolling out early on as soon as things don't go the way we want to. Over time cultivate, developed, protected, because there will be pests. There will be challenges. It's a time piece, a purpose piece. So I believe that when you plant, when they plant that vineyard, it's, it's on purpose. It's on purpose because ultimately they want the fruit and they want the fruit of the vine to be able to eat that. And then also it's going to have a, 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 a purpose to make wine, to be able to either consume for you, sell, all those things, but there's a purpose, a goal. So let me just talk to you for a minute, my brothers, in your marriage with your bride, be, be motivated to continue to set goals in a way in which you can love your bride. Don't, don't, don't get tired of it. Don't get tired of the pursuit. Continue to set goals. As a matter of fact, can I just encourage you, men, sometimes in our lives, it can be about us and us obtaining where we're trying to get to and we can leave them behind. But when was the last time you asked your wife, what do you desire to do and how can I help you get there? Just, just dropping. I know his father and sisters. Yeah, I figured y'all were like, hey, amen. Y'all quiet as all get out of here. But that's all right. Let me talk about climate for a minute. Because, you know, they, 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 they thrive best in a certain type of climate. And so I want to just submit to you a quote. It's not unique to me. Tony Evans says it, but I think it's, it's a great one. And so I thought I better share it up in here. He tells me, he says, don't expect a summer wife when you bring home winter weather. He goes on to say that we, we are the thermostat, they are the thermometer. We set it and they are reading it. So we want to make sure that we, we set the, 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 the tone well in our relationship as best we can. Now, understand, nobody, you, you ain't going to find a one that did it perfect. Jesus don't know one. That's why we worship him up in here. You understand? But we got to do our best to set the tone. So let me just read to you what it looks like to do so in Ephesians 5, 20. 5 through 28, that the Lord had the audacity out of all the things that he could record in his word. He talked about the love between a husband and a wife. Notice what he says. He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Y'all ready, brothers? So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife, what does he do? Loves himself. He loves himself. You know, when I think about this idea here, the communication to our wives, let me just lay it out to you. I believe that to do this well, I think I'm just going to give some practical things here. Uh, number one, affection. You want to you communicate affection. You want to communicate significance, companionship, and security. You see that, that vine in and of itself, it cannot do it. Notice it, they have to be lifted up. They have to be attached so they connect. So the vine connects you. They build this ornate structure so that the vine can cling to it. It can begin to stretch out, climb. And so then ultimately, whenever the produce starts coming out, they have a spot to go cling, climb and cluster. So the, the goal here is that, brothers, we, we will provide that support, that stiffness. So that way they can connect their lives to us. And then they, they, they bring about the beauty. They, they bring about they bring about the, the, the way in which I believe God is designed to bring the beauty. We bring the, the stability, the rigidness, not the sisters don't. But the, our role is to bring that. And then they bring about the, the, the produce. They bring about the beauty in the relationship. You have to be willing to do that. Now, let me just give a little caveat. I got to hit my sister just here for a minute, because last time I checked, there is a such thing as rotten fruit. 
Rotten fruit. It's the only kind of fruit that eats itself is rotten fruit. See, ultimately, we, we have to understand that, that we, you know, ask yourself, it, as you move along this and rotten fruit, am I bringing these things, you know, into the relationship? But for us, let us support and let us love the way Christ has loved the church, man. I'm going to ask a, just a quick question. I jotted down here so I wouldn't forget. What if I messed up that, that, that process? What if I messed up that process? Well, let me just say you need God's help. <laughs> you need God's help. But here's the thing. Time, protection, purpose, and a climate change, I believe, will still work. That God can still work and move. Notice, I didn't give you a quick little silver bullet. I didn't give you a magic potion. The long haul over time, as God can work and move. He says, your children, everybody see that? Your children. Your children. Your children like olive plants around your table. Let's just... Let's speak to this for a moment. Notice he shifts. He goes from the vine to an olive plant. Everybody catch that? That's by intentional. That's an intentional move here. And I think this is a very fascinating move because when you think about the idea of the olive plants, notice it didn't say seeds or trees. It said plants. So we're talking about a particular point in an olive tree's life. OK, a particular point. And uh, I've never uh, planted uh, an olive tree or been in an olive grove. But guess what? I did some research. Let me tell you what I found. That whenever you uh, go on the endeavor to plant an olive tree or you want to be in the olive oil business or something of that nature, that after you have planted it, it can take up to eight years before you will ever harvest one single olive. Eight years. That's a long time. You walking out there, come on, tree, what you doing? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Eight years. So let me just tell you that not only eight years before you get one single olive, but in many cases, it takes 65 to 80 years before you have a consistent yield of olives from that tree. I don't know about 65, 80 years. What are we doing here? But let me tell you all something that's fascinating, though. That if it's done right and managed right, that olive tree will produce olives for thousands of years. Meaning, meaning right now, like this is what's crazy. We can get in an aeroplane and go to Israel. And there are trees there that were there when Jesus was doing his thing here, walking around. You hear me? It's fascinating. So the reason why, let me just tell you, the reason why is because all those years, what's happening is the, the system underneath the ground is developing. You, you see, the reason why they can be in an arid place and have such a longevity in the way in which they can produce is because their roots run deep. And many times for us in our with our kids, let me just talk to you for a minute, brothers, our kids, you know, we can be so short sighted with our kids. And right now they get on our nerves. They ain't listening. We can't get them to do nothing. Nothing that's going on the way in which we want. But let me just tell you, God is working. The roots will run deep. And as you look at this, you'll see produce coming. And many times, can I just be honest with you, in times in which you do not see. And we're going to see that here in just a minute in the, at the back end of this text. But the roots run deep. And so, so when I think about this idea of this, these olive trees, olive plants, what we have to be committed to, men, is a long-term strategy that is based off of daily momentary decisions where the most, the most vigorous and the most vital part of our lives personally, I'm not talking about our kids just yet, our lives personally is under the surface. I want us to be iceberg men where the majority of who we are is beneath the surface. That's not what you post about. That's not what you talk about. It's beneath the surface. It's the heart issues. It's the connection with God. It's our prayer life. It's our love, the way in which we love their moms. Those things are beneath the surface. Those are the types of men we have to be to be able to challenge our children, the olive plants, to see that beneath the surface piece is where that's going to hold them as they come through trials and storms and drought and all the things that come in their life. So we see it says all the, all the plants. Around the table, that's a pretty special thing. You know, Aaron talked about the value of the table, about having a meal, talking about life at the table. Can I tell you, it'll work at the table. It'll also work when you're in your car eating Pop-Tarts on the way to school. It'll also work whenever you out in the yard trying to get some, you know, leaves raked. You can it'll work in as well. There are many, many, many times where you can begin to have these significant moments. And what I'm learning as I'm a daddy, I'm not I don't have any teenagers just yet. But what I'm learning is that more is caught than taught. 
I, I get my little lesson plans together. Yeah, we're going to talk about this aspect. Let's just sit down. We're going to have a good time, right? And I'm thinking I'm laying out stuff. And my baby's like, you know, Dad, why girls live in trees? I'm like, Lord, that ain't, we, that, that ain't it. That ain't it. We ain't getting it. <laughs> but, they, but they're catching as we, as we commit that time, as we commit, as we commit that time to them. Let, let me just tell you what I'm noticing. Some transference is happening. Well, they're catching it. Like lessons we ain't even talked about yet. That they're catching uh, character, faith, values, my heart, love. They're catching memories and development and encouragement. Not, not even intentional. It's, it's amazing what happens whenever you commit to having a strategy that is time-driven where you recognize the value of it. Can I talk about protection? Because you got to be able to protect your crop. We talked about it with the wife. Men, I just want you to hear me for a minute. We live in a day where our children are being exposed to, exposed to some very sinister things. And a lot of times it comes through this right here. We, 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 we tired and uh, we just want peace and quiet and we just hand them that thing, right? We hand them the hand of that. You go watch something, you watch whatever it is. But let me just tell you, men, we have to be vigilant in our protection of our babies. Spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. I'm just going to give you those categories. That doesn't mean that they're all, but if we can hit these and we'll go, we will begin to be able to see, I believe, some great change here. Understanding even for our wives, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, understanding what they're being exposed to. These are the little influences. Like, who, are you influ- who is that? Who is that? Who's she married to? Who's she know? What's she do? Who, who are these people? <laughs> Asking ourselves these questions, r- recognizing our babies. Listen, you, you can't just turn on Nickelodeon. You can't just turn on the Disney Channel. You can't just turn on, you, you know, these the PBS and think, oh, it's going to be good, wholesome entertainment. Don't, do not fall for that. And I'm just saying, I know you worked hard. You're both tired. Turn that thing on. Let's go on. We, we have to be vigilant. Because in our day, they, they, our babies are being exposed to some very sinister things. And we must be on the front end of protecting. How about the climate, the climate for our children? The climate is very important. Uh, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot down Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 4. Let me read this together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, As fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Everybody catch that? See, what I'm finding is you, you have different types of daddies, and Robert Lewis, he talks about this. You, you have... You know, uh, absent daddies, distant daddies, demanding dads, visionless dads. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, what type of pops are we going to be? Because we all are going to be one of those. Or we're going to be one that has a vision. And, and are we going to bring our kids up in, in the Lord? The, the, the atmosphere, the climate is so important. So let me just speak to that just for a minute. I personally have not parented through all these seasons, but I have been parented through all of these. So I'm going to speak from that experience. How about that? That whenever you look at ages zero to 13, this is the coaching time where you are directing, you are involved heavily, you know, helping with correction and and, and giving encouragement and making changes. You're involved, zero to 13. But then as as you get to the age of the back end of 13 to the age of 18, there has to be a shift, a shift in your strategy or your style of parenting that I think goes from being a, a, a more coaching to be more like a, a counselor or more like one who is encouraging. And I can tell you, that's a hard switch. I remember me and my dad, when we made that hard switch, I remember that clear as day where I was standing in the house. But we have to recognize that as our babies are growing, they still are babies, but we have to relate to them differently. And then when we, we get to that 13, 18, more encouragement, more, 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 more suggesting, still connected, though, still involved. And can I just tell you, when you get to 18, 18 and up, hey, the idea of coaching and manipulation and all that other stuff, is, you, you might as well just say, hey, you're going to be a whole lot of gray hair up in these times. I'm just telling you, it's going to hit you. But can I tell you, it's critical, though, that we provide support. Critical. We don't, we don't just back out like nothing. there's nothing to do anymore. As a matter of fact, we start engaging, I believe, even more, but in a very different way, where we come alongside to support and we and we offer up. And can I just be real here? Just being real just for a minute. When we begin to share in this season, the mistakes and the decisions that we make, they might not hear. They, they, they think, let me just be real. I thought I was the only one like, going through all this for the very first time. Like we know something or something. 
And I'm and I'm hearing from my dad and my grandpa. And my I'm like, oh, y'all went through that too. Y'all had now y'all y'all didn't have no cell phone like that, but you still had drama like this. Oh yes, we had the same drama. <laughs> and it's amazing that the lessons that that can that can be shared in that time. You see, I believe that the key thing here, but in each each movement, the key thing. Let me just say it to you: is we have to continue to point our children to God. We have to keep pointing them to God. We have to keep pointing them to God in prayer, pointing them to God in the word, pointing to God in a way in which we love them. But can I tell you, I'm talking to my men specifically the way we love their mother. That's a key piece here. It's a key piece that many times we miss. So let me just say it. I could say a whole lot. But he says, your children, listen, they'll be like all the plants around your table. You see, we have to be committed to a long term approach here, man. And I know the days can be long, but the weeks can be short. When you look back, it's hitting me right now as I'm preaching. I'm just thinking about my baby got baptized this morning at eight years old. I'm just thinking about the fact it just it hit me because she said it the other day. She said, in 10 years, I'm going to be out of here. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I'm supposed to be able to say that you ain't supposed to say that. Meaning I'm, I'm almost. You know, it's almost I got less than what. It just hit me, right? So, so I know the days can be long, but I'm telling you the time to be short, man. Don't miss out on an opportunity. Let me just say this before we look at our last point. You say, well, what if I've missed all those stages? It's a great question. And I just want to encourage you. It's never too late to be a dad. Maybe you ask, what if I didn't have a dad? I encourage you, you can be that you didn't have. God's word of the men can walk alongside you to help you to be what God designed you to be. The last thing I want us to see is verses 5 and 6. A godly legacy and how to have it. The Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. I believe that this is a very important movement here as we have worked through. We have seen a man and his God. A man and his work. A man and his wife. A man and his children. Now, it's going to expand. And in the text, we see the expansion. We see it go from Zion to Jerusalem to Israel. Everybody see that expansion? So I'm going to take that same expansion and bring it to, 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 our, to our lives. Now, when you see Zion, Zion is normally used in the Bible to talk about either the city, city of Zion, like Jerusalem, or the temple, Mount Zion, right? And so clearly here, we see him talking about the covenant community. The group of people who believed. And so when he says he's the Lord bless you from Zion, that's a specific place. He he's moving. He's making this movement. And I believe it's a great challenge for us to remember. We love God. We, we love our families. But ultimately, we are a part as a follower of Christ. We are a part. We are a part of something that is big, bigger than us. We are part of a of a church body that is greater than us. And so what happens, I believe now, is that we begin to seek to implement our life, our masculinity, our love for God in the covenant community. So we expand out from our family into the covenant community. And what this does is is it reminds us that we are a part of something greater than us. It reminds us that we are a part of something bigger than us. It reminds us also that we are not crazy. Like we are not the only ones that believe this stuff. I don't know about you, but one of the things that happens when I come here on a Sunday, whether I'm preaching or not, When I see brothers and sisters in here worshiping, trusting God, loving God, being encouraged by the word of God, what it reminds me of is that I'm not by myself, that I'm not alone, that there are a whole lot of people that believe this book, that believe what the Bible says about marriage, believe what the Bible says about humanity, male, female, that believes what the Bible says about salvation. And whenever we come together, it is a great encouragement to us that we are not alone in this thing. 
So whenever you bring your babies in here, it is a great reminder and encouragement to them that this ain't just what my parents talking about. No, no, no. This thing has roots to it. It goes way back to a time before them, to a time before their parents, their parents' parents, and on, on farther back. And so we, we understand this legacy that we connect our lives to something that is bigger, greater, that's been around longer than we have. And can I just tell you, unless the Lord, Terry, guess what? It's going to be around when we go to Zion. So, so understand the encouragement that comes from this. But also, we see that ultimately, I believe that the, 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 the psalmist here, he is thinking, because he moves, he's thinking even broader, he says Jerusalem as well. The effect that I believe our relationship with God, our work, our wife, our children, and the community, it should have an effect on the world around us. Now, let me just be the first to tell you, I know we are in a decay. It's decay. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it. It's decaying. It's decaying. And we know, well, listen, we read the back of the book. He's going to have to renew all of this. We know that. Okay? We know that. But he has left us here to be a, I believe, a preservative, to, to be a flavor to this world around us. We know that, y'all. Listen, we know. Jesus is already one. We know that. Any doubt about that? Please read the last book of this here book. Please read this revelation, please. But understand what I believe he is teaching us. Notice the order that this goes in. I believe what he is teaching us is that the work that God does and the work that God is desiring to do is going to happen from the bottom up, not the top down. Meaning it is in change and transform lives. Change and transform workplaces, change and transform marriages, change and transform families that will ultimately come in, change and transform churches that will begin to relate to the world around us, to the cities around us, states around us, nations around us. But hear me when I tell you all the talking heads out there are saying right the opposite. All the talking heads out there are telling us, no, it's got to come from the top down. We, we need a policy, a president, a, 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 a council member. Da, da, da. They hear what I'm telling you. I love all of them people. But the way in which the change is going to come is from the bottom up. They know this. They know this. I don't know that we know this, though. I don't know that we have, I don't know that we have believed this in the church just yet. I don't know that we have understood what we have right here in front of us. That, that the consistent daily steadiness of a man and woman of God trusting God a pattern their life after his will and his word coming in loving loving your children protection provision that is it the movement of the gospel across that that is it bottom up can I just tell you this is so important that it's generational and I just want to speak to this and then I promise I'm closing the third generation, it, just, just do me a favor. In the word, just as you look at family relationships, look at what happens in the third generation. Most of the time, if there's going to be a deviation from the faith, that's where it hits, in the third generation. Where you see daddy, rock solid, love the Lord, living life, balling out of control for the Lord. Has a son, he, you know, he in, he, you know, he, he back and forth, back and forth. Then have a baby, and then they don't, like, who, who the Lord is? Who is that? The Lord, y'all knew the Lord? You don't know the Lord. Normally, that's where it hits. And so I love what he says he brings in generationally. He says this, indeed, may you see your what? Children's children. If you're taking notes. I want to highlight one last passage, Deuteronomy 5, 9 and 10. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That doesn't mean he's sinful to jealous. He can't sin. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But can I just tell you, conjunctions, I love conjunctions, specifically this one. I appreciate this one right here now. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. 
you see, can I just tell you, when, I believe when there's a man in the house and that man fears the Lord and walks in his ways, I, I just believe that he's going to see his labor and be, 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 be happy with what that, he's he going to see his wife as a fruitful vine. He's going to see, listen to me, his children as all the plants are going to be investing. And that impact is going to come in and have an effect on the, the, the covenant community. And then that covenant community, notice he, it moved to Jerusalem. Then it moved, he said, peace be upon who? Israel. Remember? He went all the way out to the nation. I believe it has a, a way in which it changes and transforms and shapes even the nations. The question is, is what will be those type of men? Who will be willing to follow this direction? Before we pray and close out, I want to ask you a question. The men in your life, as you were growing up, could be dad, grandpa, uncle, somebody you, you stayed with them. Did they have a chair that they sat in? Yeah. They had a chair. Most of the time, most men at their house or wherever they are, they have a place. And like everybody knows, that's their place. You might sit in it, but when they get to the house, you know what you got to do? Get on up out of that chair. <laughs> get on up out of that chair. And it's from that place that you remember fondly. Or maybe not so finally certain things when you were getting in trouble. But you remember their presence there. Almost like a throne, almost like a ruling a kingdom. That right there is where they sat, you knew. Can I just tell you, I preach this message because I just feel like there are too many empty chairs in houses. And there's going to be a generation of people who don't know, don't understand what I'm just saying to you. They will never experience that. To be able to come up and sit and lap and Take a nap and lay your head on grandpa's stomach and be able to hear his belly rumble or be able to, to, to hear his heartbeat or to be able to have them big old working hands, be able to grasp hold of them and, and bring them in close. Like they, they won't have that opportunity. But I'm believing. I'm believing that change can happen. And I believe it can start right here with us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for loving us. Lord, on this Father's Day, the message that I'm preaching, Lord, is our man in the house. And Lord, you know the answer to that all too many times is, is no. But Lord, I'm encouraged because that does not have to defeat us. It does not have to discourage us. So, Lord, I just pray right now just for my, my brothers right now. Lord, many of us in the room, we are married. We have children. Lord, I pray you would help us to love our wives as you love the church. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to bring our children up in the, the, the admonition of the Lord. Lord, not being overbearing and harsh and difficult to, to deal with, Lord, but help us be like you. Help us be like you. Lord, I pray you would help us to fear you, take you seriously. God, we don't have to be running and hiding in fear because you have already displayed to us the type of God you are. Now, those who don't ultimately submit their life to you should be afraid of you. But, Lord, you have given us the privilege of calling you Abba, Daddy. Intimate of terms. Daddy. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to walk in your ways, Lord. And that, God, you would do a great work in this covenant community, do a great work in our state and, and city, Lord, and in this nation. You would use our lives greatly. Lord, I, I do pray because I know that this time is not always easy for everybody because of their certain situations and circumstances. But Lord, you are a good God. You're a big God. So Lord, I'm just praying that you administer to them. You administer to them in this time as we sing and as we worship and as they think about who you are and what you've done, Lord. Maybe it's for, you know, a father for their, for their, for their child. Lord, that's who you are. Maybe for them. Maybe they don't have their dad in their life. Maybe they've lost it. Whatever it is, 
Lord, I'm just asking that you administer in this time. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here, Lord, they've never given their life to you, Lord, there's no one greater. No greater example of a dad, no greater example of love and power and care and sincerity than you, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, I pray they would give their life to you. And they would say, Lord, save me, change me, forgive me, bring me into your family. Lord, I know you'll do it. They come to you by faith. That's what you said you'd do. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Will you please stand with me? I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead, and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, and that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during a time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com slash give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.